Okay, welcome everyone. Welcome to episode 30 of the Academy of Management Review uh, uh, Origin Series, the series in which we try and take you behind the scenes to understand what does it take to write a conceptual paper, to push it through the review process and to ultimately get it published. Uh, today, I'm uh, thrilled to be joined by um, two friends, colleagues, people I know well, Dean Shepard and uh, Stella Sayeb. Um, uh, and they are on a paper with Jerry George. The title of the paper is Grounding Business Models, Cognition, Boundary Objects, and Business Model Change. Um, so before we dive into a little bit of even what the paper is about, um, can we just ask each of you to briefly introduce yourselves? I know you, but our listeners might not know you. And so just a, a brief introduction with um, uh, uh, who you are, where you're located, sort of, and a little bit about your research identity. Um, so, Dean, if we can start with you, and then Stella will go, go over to you. Yeah, as Greg said, I'm Dean Shepard. Um, I know Greg and Stella from my time at uh, Indiana University, uh, but I'm now a professor at the University of Notre Dame. Um, my research is really into entrepreneurial cognition, decision-making, uh, failure, and I suppose new venture strategies uh, as well. So, yeah, they're, they're my research interests. Awesome. Thank you, Dean. And Stella, yourself? Sure thing, Greg. Hi, everyone. I'm Stella Seib. I, as Dean mentioned, met Greg and Dean at Indiana University, where I did my PhD. I'm now an assistant professor at the University of Oklahoma, and my research is on how entrepreneurs interact with community members in a variety of contexts to develop opportunities or to exploit those opportunities. So you've both mentioned somewhere in there something related to entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial elements. And this paper doesn't have entrepreneurship in the title. Uh, clearly, it's got this sort of central business model focus. Yeah. Can you give us a little bit of a, a, a rundown of essentially what is this paper and what, what, what are you trying to do with it? Yeah. So this paper, you know, I think about this paper is very much entrepreneurship, but maybe we can uh, we can talk about that even though it doesn't use the word entrepreneurship, as you said. Um, it's about business models. And the paper really started off by recognising these three different types of business models by Massa and colleagues, which says business models are real entities. Um, they can be schema that exist in the entrepreneur's mind. And they can also represent these kind of formal representations. And while the research in the past has linked entrepreneurs' schemas with business model performance, for example, business models with real entities, they haven't really looked at the intersection between the entrepreneur's schema and these kind of formal representations of what a business model looks like. So we took this opportunity to look at, well, if formal um, representations of business models, we might be able to consider them boundary objects, these kind of physical instantiations. And so how does that help um, the entrepreneurs make decisions about their business model whether the business model is coherent um, with the external environment and whether it needs to change. So we really looked at how do these kind of formal representations or, or, or um, boundary objects help to kind of ground the cognition to take it from more ab abstract notions of what the business model is to kind of more concrete um, notions of what the business model is. And so we can talk a little bit about what those different mechanisms were, but that, that's the overall basis for the paper. And so when you say, when, when you, you, you articulate them as boundary objects, um, 
and and then and then unpack certain you, you land up unpacking certain elements of those those boundary objects or things that sort of a, a allow them to 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 serve a certain purpose or ultimately result in coherence um can you can you give us a little bit of a a slightly more concrete perspective of what do you mean by the term boundary object in this case and how might that sort of manifest in an entrepreneur's journey or in a, a, a manager's journey as they sort of configure or, or think about a business model and try and utilize it in the real world. Yeah. So I think you started off by saying that you want to kind of see what's behind the curtain of the papers. Yeah. So I think Stella can answer this question well because she did an excellent dissertation on exoskeletons, which was largely about this notion of boundary objects. And that was kind of in, in some ways a trigger uh, for this particular paper. So, Bella, uh -huh. did, you to, did you want to describe the boundary object part? Absolutely. So, a boundary object is a thing that entrepreneurs and community members can interact around that provides some kind of common ground. So, often entrepreneurs and community members will have a variety of different perspectives and different goals, some in alignment, some not. But a boundary object is something that is open to be interpreted in different ways, which is important because it brings everybody to the table, but it also provides that common ground to center discussion so that everybody can hopefully uh, get, become get closer to uh, a one coherent view of what the opportunity is or what the um, what the business model is or what the product itself is. So in my dissertation, I was looking at how exoskeletons are developed and how those opportunities around those exoskeletons are developed. And within that, I was pretty focused on uh, specific technological changes to the exoskeletons themselves. So changes in how they work or what they do. And so then in this paper, we, we zoomed up from that to look at uh, business model change more generally. So, 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 so a business model, a business model as a boundary boundary object would most likely come forth in the form of a, a. Would it be more narrative? Would it be a picture? Would it be a combination of those things? Would it be something an even more physical kind of manifestation? At what level do you think about the, the notion of a business model and, and how it's represented in the form of a boundary object? So there can be a whole range of different types of boundary objects. So, for example, if I were to write up a mission statement and hand that out to, to potential investors, that could act as a boundary object. But it could also be something uh, a, a little more concrete. So, for example, with the exoskeletons, our ideas about how the technology works and what it does are embedded within that object. And so depending on our goals and the community members' goals, uh, different, different types of boundary objects will be more appropriate in different situations. Uh, but the, the core of it is that, that we can potentially interpret them in different ways, but there'll be some kind of common ground. So mission statements or uh products and services or formal representations more closer to like what a business model canvas uh, might look like, those would all count as boundary objects, but they just might be used in different situations. Awesome. So you 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 recognize the opportunity to connect this idea of a business of a boundary object with the concept of a business model and um to 
sort of abstract away from what you had done from your dissertation, which was a specific setting and a specific sort of domain, and think about it more theoretically, um, invoking the idea of boundary objects on business models or interacting the two. Um, uh, uh, how did it? How did it essentially evolve from that that point, or 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 how did you get to that point, and then how did it evolve from that point, such that you decided to write a conceptual paper about it? Yeah, I think um, you know I've been interested in entrepreneurial cognition for quite a quite a period of time, and I think this notion of boundary objects, or we could even simplify it further, just even say prototypes. We say you know they kind of exist, but we don't know how they interact. And I came across um, some interesting research on uh, grounded cognition. And I liked the notion of grounded cognition because I'd been working in cognition. I'd also been working in emotion and different and, and even some sort of gut feel, those types of things. And, and the grounded cognition was a chance to actually bring all of those things together under the one umbrella. Um, so it wasn't just purely in my mind, um, you know, as in terms of cognition. But it was also in terms of the physical elements um, and the interplay with emotions and actions and body feelings and narratives. So it kind of brought together a lot of different themes of research that I've been working on separately. And it kind of gave us a nice opportunity to bring them all together and uh, to work with Stella in that area was, was really great. Cool. So... Who now? So, so we land up with uh, this 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 idea that business models serve as boundary objects, and through some of the things that those boundary that those, those business models sort of represent or enable them, the mechanisms they create coherence, and that coherence sort of facilitates other other moving forward or changing. Um, who who would you say? Which which conversations or which audiences are you speaking to from a scholarly perspective? And then how might that pivot out into uh, a broad, broader audiences? So so who's the paper for? Who should who should read it sort of as a as a as a first take for a scholar perspective? And then and then how might that elaborate out? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question because you know the, the answer could be multiple audiences, um, but that's not a good answer, right? Because <laughs> The reviewers always say, who are you talking to? You know, so you know, it could be an entrepreneurial cognition paper as the discussion that you and I started, but it's very much focused on um, the context of business model research and on business model coherence and business model change. So I suppose in, in it's mostly situated in the business model conversation, ongoing scholarly conversation, and we bring to it, you know, the theoretical discussions about um, cognition and grounded cognition, which involve these notions of uh, boundary objects and, and prototypes and things like that. And then if you if you extract away from that, how might we bring it into, for instance, a classroom or into another setting? Is is there is there anything that comes from this that can sort of speak concretely to people trying to learn about entrepreneurship or trying to enact it? Um, or managers trying to, you know, facilitate change in their organisations. Stella, do you want me or you? I'll jump in. So it could be useful at the undergrad level for students who are engaging in market research for the first time and they're trying to figure out 
how to figure out if their business model makes sense and the variety of ways that they could do that. And so by creating different types of boundary objects and by putting people uh, in situations where they could potentially gain sensory motor experiences or narrative experiences or emotional experiences, we can help show students the different types of information that they could potentially gain as a result of using boundary objects and also highlight the difference between a sort of conceptual test where they might explain their idea to someone and more of a usability test where there's some kind of prototype that their potential customers can interact with. Within a doctoral seminar, it could perhaps be useful for anybody who is trying conceptual paper that integrates different uh, streams of research within an overarching topic. So, for example, in, in this case, of course, we're looking at the three streams within uh, business model research, but it could potentially act as a useful exemplar for somebody who is trying to uh, explain how different streams could be integrated in a, in a conceptual paper that isn't necessarily on this topic, uh, but in trying thinking through how you can explain those streams, re hopefully reasonably concisely, and then find some tension within that uh, to, to hopefully build a, a useful conceptual paper. So it's so interesting that you said that, Stella, because I wrote, when, when I was looking at this paper, I wrote down that this is an, a great example of a, a conceptual paper that integrates and sort of builds on multiple different perspectives because when we when we at AMR we always talk about there being sort of four ways of writing an AMR paper one is to try and write brand new theory one is to try and sort of extend or contradict existing theory the third is to integrate different theoretical perspectives in unique and novel ways such that you land up getting new new ideas and new perspectives and the fourth is to theorize about the process of theorizing um and 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 we're always looking for sort of salient examples of papers that fit those categories. And in the third category I mentioned there, which is sort of the, the integration, the building on um, and, and, and elaborating by connecting. Um, I think you do a great job of that. And, uh, and that was exactly where I placed this paper. How did you get enough of an understanding of these sort of different domains to feel comfortable bringing them together. Dean, you sort of alluded to the fact that you came across this grounded cognition area, but then you, you sort of need to feel comfortable in, 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 in multiple different lanes to be able to then bring them together and generate new insights. Is it just a matter of sort of spending time reading each or what else did you do to make sure that you could firstly become comfortable with bringing them together? And then what did the process look like of actually trying to integrate them in a meaningful way? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think um, we've been working in these areas for a little while in, in separate papers. So as I said before, this was a chance to bring it all together under one theoretical model. But I think where we lacked, where Stella and I lacked a little bit of knowledge was in the actual business model uh, conversation, right? So, um, you know, we knew a little bit about it. We'd read into it. We wrote it, uh, about wrote the initial draft of the paper, um, positioning it that way, but not strongly positioned in that community. And when the reviewer came back and we we knew the editor was very much a business model person, that's when we invited Jerry George to come on the paper uh, in the second round. So 
I mean, Stella had done a fantastic job uh, working with me on that first draft. And Jerry was very good in giving us just a few little hints on the theory side, but really helping us work on how to best position the paper to speak to the to the business model literature as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it was tough tying them together, but you know, that grounded cognition offered like a meta-theoretical framework that allowed us to kind of pull the bits together. And we just, the missing part was the business model uh, conversation. And that's where Jerry was um, was crucial to kind of really finalize that, that positioning. Yeah, so, so, so the way I understand it is you've sort of got these three different views of business models that have existed for a while. So you've got business model as an overarching concept, which which wasn't necessarily your foray, but you've got that as an overarching concept. But then you stumble upon this grounded cognition, which gives you the sort of tools and some of the perspectives to integrate those, those three parallel streams more effectively. And that allows for a more coherent whole to ultimately come together and so, and and it, it's it's often difficult to see that all up front. It's almost like putting a, a jigsaw puzzle together that you 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 know some of the pieces, you you stumble across other of the pieces, and then you're trying to make do with with other uh, other elements of it. Um, and so, Stella, from your side, as someone who this is the first AMR paper that you've written, um, what did you learn? through the process of writing this paper that um, you think if someone was to come to you and say, look, I'm thinking of trying to write a conceptual paper, what did you learn that you think you would you would sort of pass down? And they're not allowed to just uh, uh, go and work with Dean, that you, you're actually giving them stuff that they've, they've got to go and work on their own with. What, what, what would you say? Absolutely. So I would encourage them to focus on this idea of theoretical cohesiveness, which is before we started this process of submitting to AMR, I didn't really know anything about theoretical cohesiveness. And I learned a lot through this process. So we had a reviewer early on ask us, like we were using boundary objects to try to explain business model change. And we had a reviewer ask us, so why, why boundary objects as an explanatory factor instead of literally any of the other things that you could use to explain uh, business model change. And that was a really good question. And so throughout the course of this paper, finding uh, theoretically cohesive explanations for why these sets of variables and not others, and why, why is this set complete, was really important. And uh, another reviewer directed us to a paper from Masser and colleagues who had reviewed uh, the, the business model literature. And that was really, really helpful because those three streams gave us a way to explain why we were including uh, boundary objects and why we were including cognitive schema and why we were, we were including uh, the things that the venture does as being distinct from the schema. And so that that was a really important part of the puzzle that prior to this experience, I uh, wouldn't, wouldn't have known to focus on without having gone through it. Yeah, so properly understanding why you're including certain things and leaving other things out and having theoretical rationale for why that makes sense. And if you can cite a, a well-cited review paper or something else that gives you that ammunition, that's that's certainly certainly useful. Dean, what would you say to someone who is in 
Stella's sort of position or, or you've, you've now got even, even uh, uh, students that are much earlier in the process than, than what she is now. She's now thriving uh, a superstar assistant professor, but, but someone who's earlier in their career and, and, and decides they want to try and write a conceptual paper. Um, what would be sort of advice you might provide based on your, your your many years of doing this and of writing other papers and of um, supervising students? What, what what sort of tips would you give? So I agree that Stella is a superstar. Um, <laughs> so I've been very lucky to work with her. I mean, um, you know, it's not, there's no uh, senior seniority between our relationship. She formed straight into it. Um, you know, I suppose if you're writing a theory paper, I suppose my advice would be get ready to get rejected because that's the most likely scenario and that everybody, all the more senior people and the people who get published in AMR will get rejected as well. So that's just part of the process. Um, but, you know, all the reasons that Stella suggested um, is that it's a, it's, a, it's a great learning experience and the experience is even greater if you get the chance to do an R&R because you spend so much time on that R&R. And that what you learn is not um, so specific to writing theory papers, but to writing theory, which will do you um, a lot of good if you write, you know, you want to write an AMJ or basically to any any particular journal. You know, it does all the things that Stella suggested and kind of trying to tell a, a coherent story. Um, and that, that's that's highly valuable. Also, I'd say that um, our editor, uh, Afua, is that how you say it? Yeah, Ellen Afua. Yeah, he was fantastic. Uh, he gave us great direction and even asked us if we wanted to uh, Zoom call with him, which we did. Um, you know, we, we got a little bit of information, but more he just gave us encouragement uh, to continue on. And that uh, I think part, partly the success of this paper was adding Jerry George to it. Uh, you know, I think Stella and I would say that he didn't do a, a heck of a lot, but what he did uh, was very, very important. You know, it's just a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and it was also, it'll be right, it'll be right, it'll be right, right? So um, he was a nice, calming influence uh, as well. Awesome. Um, so so, so you, you've gone through this the, the, the process of, of writing this paper now, um, and it's, it's, it's a really cool paper. Did it change substantially? Over the, you, you've sort of alluded to the review process and and going through rounds of review. Did it change substantially through that? Were there any elements of it that you know you either had to throw out or bring in? And you've also spoken a little bit about the learning that happens in doing that review. So I'd love for us just to understand a little bit about what what changes were invoked and what you learned through making those changes. Stella, do you want me to or you? I'll jump in. So one of the first changes we made when we got the first round of reviews back uh, was, was to change our research question and make it more specific. So our the first version of our question was around how, how do business models change? And that's very, very general. And as a result of other reviewers' comments, we ended up focusing in on the role of boundary objects uh, specifically in bringing that change about. And then from there, we iterated further to talk about physical instantiations of business models and how that brings about change 
uh, in a in a business model in terms of coherence, and then that how that affects the decision to change. So it became more specific as the review process went on, and it was also uh, more closely tied to the literature as well. In terms of the model, we we have so many versions of the model where we tried uh, lots and lots of different things. Something we tried for quite a while, and in the end, uh, we dropped it uh, to to make the model simpler and to make it more, make more sense. But for a while, we were trying to look at the abstractness of the boundary objects themselves, in addition to the abstractness of the business model. Um, and in the end, we couldn't make that work, but we did. We had, had a lot of iteration in that area and in trying to make that work and figuring out all the ways in which that wouldn't work, that made us more co- confident, I think, better enabled us to make stronger arguments about the four uh, mechanisms that ended up in, in the final paper. So, Dean, can you speak us through those those four mechanisms? And and in order to do this, I'm actually going to bring up the the, the model onto the screen so that we can share it with, um, and, and and just speak us through the, the 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 four mechanisms and then how they tie together and and sort of what the it's it's almost like a double DV here because you've got coherence and then you've got decision to change just so that we've got a, got a sense of 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 what you've landed up with as the ultimate model um uh, uh for the purposes of people watching yeah so so the mechanisms um for grounding uh, your cognitions or grounding the schema relate to sensory motor uh, language social experiences and emotional experiences. And so by sensory motor, it really means things that you feel in the body. Um, and, and I think a good example of that was when, you know, Stella's, we, we quote some of the work from Stella's uh, dissertation in that when someone was using, I think it was an artificial arms, Stella, and they yeah, were able to reach out and grab something and they said, it actually feels like my real arm, right? I mean, so it wasn't a cognitive thing, but it was a, a feeling thing, right? And we also know that, you know, people have a gut feel um, and a gut feel is a feeling that's in the body. Now, that could be partly uh, sensory motor, but it could also be partly emotional, right? The affect as, as information. Um, language helps us to, abs- uh, to, um, to make out, to ground our cognition, right? So if our schemas of our business model is too abstract, one way to make it more concrete is to speak about it. Um, and I think we know that with our own research, if we have to present it, then we start realizing where it makes sense and where it doesn't make sense. So actually just speaking it to yourself um, can help ground your cognition as, of course, speaking to other people. And that's with kind of like the social experiences. The more we can tap into other people's knowledge, um, it helps us kind of ground our cognition in our own mind, but also collectively. Um, and again, that can reveal where our business model uh, needs to be changed. Um, and then emotional experiences. You know, we, um, you know, we can when we use the product, how does it make us feel? Or when we're interacting on this, if I'm feeling positively about it, then that represents you know positive feedback that kind of grounds my cognition. Or if I have some sort of doubt or some feeling, some negative emotion, then that may also kind of ground my cognition. And so with each of those mechanisms, um, we use how, how using the boundary objects can actually stimulate these mechanisms in order to take our more abstract schema to a more concrete level. 
And in doing that, we reveal more information about whether we're coherent or whether we're not, and if we're not, where are we not, and how do we make it more coherent? Awesome. And and I, I would expect that those mechanisms are not necessarily mutually independent or, or independent, totally independent of one another. So they might be in using certain language, we actually invoke certain emotions or, um, as you pointed out, in using certain language with others, we have a social experience. So um, they, I would expect that they probably interrelate with one another in, as this process plays itself out. Yeah, I mean, we did talk briefly about how they're, um, they can be self-reinforcing, but we also talked about some individual differences, how people might differ in their intuitive decision-making. And if they do that, then they're more likely to kind of rely on the sensory motor in the emotional experiences. And if someone's more based on social metacognition, kind of more deliberate thinking about how I think and how other people think, then they may focus more on the language or the narrative um, and the um, uh, the social experience aspect as well. So they're kind of interrelated, but people might experience them differently based on some of those attributes uh, that we talked about in the paper. Awesome. Stella, how important was it to have this, have a diagram that you could sort of refer back to in doing some of the actual writing and in making, achieving that coherence that you referred to earlier? Very, very important. So every time we were uh, making a change to the paper, we actually started by working on the figure trying to produce a figure that made sense to all of us, then make sure that we're all on the same page about the propositions and making sure that our propositions make sense. And once we had that, then at that point, we would go back and start editing the text. And then, of course, that always then necessitated changes back in the figure and the propositions. But those figures were a really, really helpful boundary objects in helping us develop the paper. Exactly, they're a boundary object. So sometimes I'm talking with Stella and she says, okay, let me try and draw a figure of that. And then that would then that would obviously help us work out what we were doing and what we weren't doing. So it, it was it was essential. Yeah, that, that's one of the things uh, that I've learned. One one of the things that I've learned that has been a very common theme in doing these interviews is just mm-hmm. how important it is to create some sort of visual representation. And in some cases, it might be a two by two matrix. In others, it might be some sort of table. In most cases, there's some sort of figure involved that serves as the boundary object, the anchor point, the sort of central piece around which the narrative associated with the theory is going to be written. But I also really appreciate, Stella, how you you illustrated that iteration back. So when actually writing and having to put things down on paper and argue them with prior theoretical perspectives and ideas, that you might find something in, in, in the figure needs to change. So there's there's something really meta going on here in talking about boundary objects and then uh, in talking about how they work in the theorizing process. Yeah, they're not not only just within the, the um, authorship team, of course, as well. You know, as we start to communicate with the reviewers and the and the editor and, and the audiences, then it becomes, it, you know, it becomes, we get more information and it changes even further. And so as a, as a, as a final question, how's this, paper been received have you had 
any um, any sort of uh, anything that surprised you once people have had the chance to read it that um, might be positive, might be negative, might just be puzzling um, because it's been out for a while now and we know that business models is a hot topic and this is uh, so this is a, a an article about a hot topic in one of the top tier journals. What's some of the reaction been? Stella, do you want to say it or should I? Go for it. Um, I, I taught this with my first year doctoral students and I, you know, I think the reaction, my reaction to reading the paper, my own personal reaction to it was, you know, in some ways it's very complicated and it can be very deep. Um, but I think you can also read this paper at a more superficial or maybe a more abstract level and take some very simple um, lessons from it. So I was kind of, my own reaction was that, that it, you know, it can go very deep, um, but at a, at a broader level, it, it, it's, um, you know, it's more interpretable. And I think the doctoral students found it that way as well. I mean, they're only first year doctoral students. Um, so they were able to get a lot out of it, but obviously not all of the nuances uh, that were in the paper. Uh, I, I don't think they completely understood all of those. Anything from your side, Stella? So people have had some interesting ideas around future research directions. So it's always been interesting for us to talk to people and have them bring their own perspective and knowledge of different uh, different literatures and how it could potentially apply. So looking further into different dimensions of uh, business models themselves that we, uh, we, we focus on different types of boundary objects and like uh, various levels of abstractness within the schema. But uh, that could that could also definitely be applied to the business model as a as a real entity. And so, yeah, it's been really interesting for me to hear about new directions that people could take it. And are you is this is this paper in any way influencing either of your uh, current or emerging research projects in any kind of interesting way that you're happy to disclose and share? I would say that we, you know, we've touched on the business model area. It's kind of on the on the side, but we're still continuing a lot into the kind of the cognition and the emotion and how these different elements come together. Um, would you say that, so? Yeah, yeah. I think we're definitely going deeper within schema change, particularly the dynamics of that over time, um, and in. I don't know if we're going to do another paper integrating everything like this, but I think there are some interesting directions within boundary objects as well um, related to perceptions of uncertainty and uh, decisions to stick with a venture or not for an entrepreneur. Awesome. Well, um, I know this paper has uh, certainly had a big impact on some of my doctoral students. Um, Stella knows that one of them does research on entrepreneurial experimentation and why people decide to change their business model. And this paper came out almost at the perfect time and had a big impact on some of his thinking about all of that. So um, uh, so I expect that it will have a big impact on how a lot of people are thinking. And I think one of the things that you alluded to earlier is it can go in multiple different directions. It can speak to strategy scholars, it can speak to entrepreneurship scholars, it can speak to scholars in the sort of design thinking space and how they might um, uh, 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 design thinking and innovation space. And so um, and then just pure cognition and, and uh, managerial cognition. 
So I think it's it's one of those papers that's got a lot of different potential audiences, and I hope that they all pick up pick up and uh, uh, and and use it in in productive ways. Um, so thank you, thank you for writing the paper. Thank you for sharing a, a little bit of the journey of this paper with us and helping us understand how, uh, as a team, you were able to work together to bring it. Uh, over the line to publish it and to um, uh, and, and to have hopefully made a big impact through doing so. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Greg.